You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot me be my disciple. Boy, that's strong. <laughs> Everywhere else in the New Testament, Jesus discusses love, peace, brotherhood. Certainly, he upholds honor thy father and thy mother, the great commandment. So the first thing that we try to do as we look at a passage like this, is to figure out a way we can reconcile this. You know, oh, surely this, you know, English Standard Version translation must be doing something that it didn't really need to do, that hate is too strong of a word. So let's look at the other translations. Well, guess what? You can look at all the other translations and it still says hate. (laughs) The word is miseo in in Greek, and there there ain't no getting around it. That's what he said. A little bit of context, though, helps us to understand why Jesus would use a term like that. First of all, at this point in Luke's gospel, Luke is relating the final journey that Jesus is making towards Jerusalem, where he's going to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, and buried. Okay? That's where we stand here. This is just before Palm Sunday. And Luke tells us that there are great crowds accompanying him. Well, these aren't all disciples, per se. These are followers. These are hangers-on. People that are just curious. They know he's headed into Jerusalem, and there's probably going to be a big brouhaha, and they want to see what this is all about. So that's these great crowds. Jesus turns to them, and of course, I can't, how could I possibly know what is in the mind of Jesus? But it's almost as if, if you look at the timing of this, Jesus knows this is the last time that he's going to really be able to address this many people in this manner. Before in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of us denying ourselves for his sake. But now, this is his last shot, so to speak, for him to really get his point across. And so he uses here the term hate. Now, apparently in the ancient Semitic language, it was very common to use extremes, hyperbole, when you really wanted to get your point across. Uh, In Greek, there is a pattern of using terms like hate, But in Greek, they temper that word by usually contrasting it with something else. So if you wanted to say hate in its most extreme form with the strongest of emotion, then you would pair it with love, which would be the uh, entire opposite, the antithesis of that kind of hate. But if you didn't want hate to be that harsh, you would compare hate with dislike or excuse me, with like, as opposed to love. 
And a Greek would know then to temper what you mean by hate. The only problem with trying to use that rationalization here is that Jesus doesn't compare it with that. He talks about, rather, what is it going to take to be a disciple? Okay. He then gives two cautionary tales. And they actually, you know, on, on first superficial reading, it almost is kind of like, well, why is he telling us this? Because, I mean, the, the two tales. Jesus is making a, a big point here about how it is foolish to undertake something. And in this case, it's foolish to undertake being one of his disciples. If you haven't thought through, what's it going to take to be one of his disciples? And so he uses the concept of building a tower or going to war. Of course, here in Colorado, what we would do is say, if you're going to hike a 14er, you know, you better be sure that you've considered that you've got the right gear, the physical training, and a good weather forecast. Because otherwise, if you head out to that mountain base and just take off on your own, you're going to wind up with either a very miserable experience or you could be even, you know, get killed doing something like that. So Christ is really talking to us about if you want to be my disciple, you better think hard about what it's going to take what you're going to have to do on a daily basis. And here is where we're going to back up and look at our New Testament reading. Now, Jared is a great scholar, and he stood up here and read our New Testament reading, and I think that the, term, that the uh, uh, pronunciations that he used are probably the correct pronunciations. Philemon uh, and, and the various people that are in there, he's using the correct pronunciations. I'm going to use the lazy pronunciations, and I'm going to refer to the letter to Philemon and, uh, the, and, and the fella Onesimus. So, uh, as I said, you probably would do better to go with Jared's pronunciations. But I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to use the, these other pronunciations. Okay. Now, I know, I've seen you do this during the services when, uh, when we have our scripture readings. So many of you will pull out a tablet uh, or, or you'll pull out your own copy of the Bible or maybe you even pull up your cell phone, and, and you'll read along as we're reading the, the, the scriptures up here each Sunday. Now, if you didn't do that, however, today for that New Testament reading, you may not have appreciated something. That was the entire book. I mean, you know, when you think about Corinthians, Colossians, you know, Galatians, Hebrews, I mean, these things are huge dissertations. They're divided up into chapters and then the chapters into verses and all this stuff. What Jared read this morning was the whole thing. That was it from beginning to end. There is no chapter in the letter to Philemon. Philemon. There is no such chapter. Do you realize that the whole thing consists of 25 verses? 25. And, if you, and the verses are even, uh, are, uh, are even uh, uh, parts of sentences. So there are even fewer than 25 sentences in this entire book, if you will. Heck, this is hardly a letter. It, it's more like a postcard <laughs> compared to you know, the, the, the other books in the Bible. But why would this letter be so important that it would be put into our canon of Scripture? Well, 
because this is exactly what Paul is addressing here, is the cost of discipleship. Just exactly what Jesus was talking about. So, with that in mind, I want to take a really good look at this book, or the letter, and let's talk about what Paul is saying. Because when you just listen to it, or if you just read it through, you're, you're, you're going to miss a lot of really subtle points here. Okay? Now, I am going to tell you this. A couple of months ago, I filled in for Father Jeremy, and if you'll remember, if you were here, I gave you a little tease. I gave you a question, and here's what it was. Do you ever think that Paul was funny? You ever think of him as having a sense of humor? Guess what? I'm going to show you how he does in this letter. He actually pulls a pun, and it's very intentional. This is not serendipitous. He did it on purpose, and I'll show you how he does it. All right, let's take a look at this. Now, verse 1 starts right off. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and in the church in your house. Okay, so obviously Paul's still in prison when he's writing this, probably in Rome at the time. Timothy, he includes in the address here, because Timothy is the one who's actually going to carry the letter. He's going to hand carry the letter to Philemon, or Philemon, okay? He's going to carry the letter. So we know that right off the bat. Um, now, this guy Philemon, or Philemon, First of all, we know he's a Christian because Paul says, our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister, probably was Philemon's wife. Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably Philemon's son. So we're talking about husband, wife, son. And the church in your house. So apparently, Philemon was not just a Christian, but he was now a leader, just enough of a leader at least, that he was hosting services in his own, in his own home. So now we know that Philemon is, you know, has a, a degree of importance, at least to the Christian community there. And where is there? There is the town of Colossa, which you don't know the town of Colossa until you realize that's Paul's letter to the Colossians. That was the town of Colossus. And so when Paul wrote the big dissertation to the church there, the, the main church, that was the letter to the Colossians. But this is in the town of Colossus, where Philemon is hosting services in his own home with his wife and probably his son. All right, so now we've established who Paul is addressing here. Um, the next thing in verse 4, actually 4 through 7, Paul now says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He's being sincere. There's no question about it. He's praising Philemon for all that he has done and what he's continuing to do. He's also setting him up. 
because we're going to see that in a minute. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Okay, so as I said, very sincere, no reason to doubt a word that Paul says here. Accurate description of Philemon, but now, now, I told you he was setting him up. In verse 8, 8 through 10, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. All right. Now, this is the point of the letter, what we just read there. This is the whole point of the letter. And we need to understand the situation. Onesimus was a slave that was owned by Philemon. He had run away to Rome, and there, by God's grace, he came into contact with Paul and was converted to Christianity. Now, it's at this point we have to step back and look at the overall situation, even a bigger situation that's being addressed here. Slavery. It was common throughout the world at that time, and even wealthy Jews had slaves. We see that in the Old Testament. We see laws and traditions that are addressed in the Old Testament regarding Jews and how they are to deal with their slaves. Um, Rome also had a very widespread system of slavery and recognized its practice throughout its empire. Another characteristic of Romans, as just in general, was that one of the smart things the Romans did when they conquered a territory, conquered a country, a nation, they didn't just immediately overthrow everything about that nation. They allowed those people to keep all of their own laws, all of their own traditions, everything they wanted as long as it did not specifically contradict Roman law. This was one way they were able to keep the peace in a lot of these places. So this was true for slavery as well. Consequently, the way Jews were expected to handle slaves was respected by the Romans. They weren't going to try to counteract it, you know, the legal status of slaves. Um, Jews, for instance, had slaves that were also Jewish. And there was a tradition that had been set up in the Old Testament laws that every seven years, a Jew who owned Jewish slaves had to grant them their freedom every seven years. Every 50 years, that was the years of Jubilee, every Jewish slave owner was required to release all of their slaves, no matter whether they were Jewish or not. They had to free them. That was the Jewish tradition. And Rome would not have, they wouldn't have interfered with that. Here's the situation though, that you also have to remember. Colossa was not a Jewish town. Philemon was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And they would have been following Roman laws regarding slaves, not the Jewish laws. Paul is extremely aware of this. And he recognizes 
that Philemon could treat Onesimus not only harshly, he could execute him. And the Romans wouldn't do a thing about it. That was his right as a slave owner. He could have done that. Therefore, Paul says to Philemon, he talks about doing what is required. But required by whom? Required by Roman law, Jewish law, or Christ's law? Let's now look through a little bit farther, verses 11 through 14. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your half during my imprisonment for the, for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Okay. Obviously, after Onesimus' conversion by Paul, Onesimus hung out there in Rome and was doing whatever he could to help Paul. Well, Paul really appreciated this. But Paul knows the law, and he knows that, uh, that, that Onesimus, in fact, is still the legal property of, uh, of Philemon. Consequently, he recognizes he, by all rights, has to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But as I said, he doesn't want to command him to do anything. He wants to appeal to him. So now in verses 15 and 16, we see by what he meant by what is required. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Okay. Time for me to tell you Paul's joke. <laughs> Verse 11. If you have a copy of it before you, you'll see it. But I'll tell you, it's funny. Because verse 11 is in parentheses. Why? Why would he put it in parentheses? He's taking it as a completely separate thing from the rest of the text. Now, on the surface, this sounds like just a very flat, straightforward statement. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Well, that sounds like a nice thing to say, but if we read Greek, we'd catch the pun that he throws in here. The Greek word for useless is akrestos. The Greek word for useful is eukrestos. Now, here's where the pun comes in. Guess what the name Onesimus means? It means useful. So if he's going to say that Onesimus is useful, why not just use Onesimus? But he doesn't. He specifically uses Akrestos and Eukrestos. Why? Because it's a, a, a person reading this would immediately pick up he is not just Christos, he is Christos, Christ. 
That's where we get the word Christ. Christos. And so his use of Akrestos, Eucrestos, and then talking about Jesus, Philemon, trust me, he got the joke. And that's why it's in parentheses, because Paul knows this is a joke, and he's putting it in there. Now, why on earth am I making such a big deal about this? Well, because two things, really. First of all, it's really nice to step back now and then and remember that these people, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy, you know, all of these people, James, these weren't just stick figure cardboard icons that we just see a name in the Bible. These were real people. They had all the emotions, everything that you and I feel, they felt it too. And Paul is no exception to that. You know, here's a good example. Do you know why the French like to eat snails? Because they don't like fast food. There you go. See, <laughs> it's as old as Paul's letter to Philemon to use humor to break up the point. You know, humor to lighten this up. And I think that's exactly what Paul wanted to do here. Paul wanted to lighten up a little bit. So for once, we get this little glimpse of a different side of Paul. Okay, but the other reason I'm bringing all this up is because Paul, as I said, is really addressing the cost of discipleship, in this case, to Philemon. Um, he says that, you know, what is required is that Philemon receive Onesimus back forever. In other words, don't execute him. Okay? Then he furthermore takes on and he says, not just take him back and not kill him, but not as a bond servant. In other words, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother, a free man. I mean, this is really, for, for, for the standards of the day, this is asking a lot. Do you know what kind, I mean, <laughs> Lynn and I joke about this all the time, out where we live. We live in a neighborhood that consists of, I think, 32 families, 32 households. You cannot so much as have an Amazon delivery to your doorstep without everybody in the neighborhood knowing you got an Amazon delivery to your doorstep. That's just the way it is out there. We've had some work done at the house. Trust me, within 24 hours, everybody in the neighborhood knows we had, you know, a contractor out at the house. What were we doing? That kind of thing. Okay. You think those slave owners around Colosa would not pretty darn quickly find out what happened to Onesimus? When he came back to Philemon, you darned right they would. What kind of pressure would Philemon be under? Uh, socially? You know? Perhaps legally? If he not only took Onesimus back, but let him go as a free man. And Paul knows. This is, he's asking a lot of, uh, of Philemon to do this. So really what he's addressing is, what is the cross? You know, what is bearing the cross? What is the cost of the discipleship? Okay. I don't want to beat this letter to death. I, I think it's fun. And actually, I loved the fact that this came up. 
the letter is, you know, it's in the lectionary, but that means it only comes up once every three years. That's it. And so this is one of those books that, honestly, I would challenge anybody. You know, you'd have to be a true biblical scholar to know exactly where th- this letter is in the, you know, in the New Testament. You know, would you, and just be able to say, oh, it's right after this book and just before that one. You know, it's just it's so quick and easy just to forget that this is even there. So I'm really glad that we had a chance today to really look at this and why it's a valuable thing. Um, We today in our society, we're in an increasingly secular society. I know that I'm standing here preaching to the choir, figuratively. You wouldn't be here today if you weren't, um, you know, a Christian, if you weren't a person trying to follow Jesus. But the difficulty for us today in our increasingly secular society is how much are we willing to go against the grain. What is the cost of discipleship to us today? I mean, our costs are different. As times change, the costs always change to a large extent. But the bottom line is, are we willing to put Jesus first? Because that's what Jesus was telling the crowds. He obviously doesn't mean that he wants you to hate your relatives, the ones that should be closest to you, that you should love the most, that you should admire the most. He doesn't want you to hate them. He just wants you to be ready to put him, Jesus, ahead of all of those things, no matter how precious they are to you. You've got to be ready to put him first. Um, You know, I always get a kick out of the people who think they know something about the Bible and will uh, come up with, they'll think they're quoting accurately when they say money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That passage comes from uh, 1 Timothy. And the translation, the classic translation, is from the King James Version, which simply is that the love of money is the root of all evil. And let's face it, you know, who, who of us doesn't want money? Um, I don't know if, how many of you people in here listen to country music, um, There's an absolutely hilarious song called It Could Buy Me a Boat, which I just love. And if you've not heard the lyrics, it's just great because he talks about they say that money is the root of all evil and you can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. And I guess that's true, but it still sounds cool because it could buy me a boat. (laughs) You know, it could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110, ice down with some silver bullets. <laughs> Song's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but, look, the, 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 the bottom line is, each and every day, you and I have to face a decision of, is this really as important to us as God? And if we're going to truly be disciples, then we've got to work at every day, everything, knowing that everything, I don't care what it is that we think we possess, it really all comes from God, and it really does all belong to God, and that consequently, God is the most important thing in our lives. And let's be willing to pay that cost of discipleship. That's what Paul is telling Philemon, and that's what Jesus is telling us. 
This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org. Good morning. 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 Good morning.